Hello, and welcome to Dragons Remember, a podcast exploring the living history of Drexel University, where dragons new and old share their Drexel experience. I am Emma Carr, a student of history at Drexel University and your host for this episode. On today's episode, we talk to Angela Harris, a Drexel alum and graduate of 2002. Today, we will be talking about women in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM. In recent years, we have seen great strides to improve the presence of women in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM. Although there are efforts to encourage young women to pursue STEM careers, there is still a disparity in both higher education and the workforce. In K-12 education, young women's achievement and participation is on par or higher than their male counterparts, with the exception of computer science and engineering. In higher education, however, statistics show a disparity between men and women in STEM. Women receive roughly only 17% of computer science degrees, 19% of engineering degrees, and 39% of all physical science degrees, according to statistics from the National Science Foundation in 2013. So we can see that there is still a ways to go for gender equality in the STEM fields. Drexel, since the first graduating class of 1894, has worked to promote equal opportunity for the education of both men and women. The first graduating class saw six women graduate with degrees in domestic science. And in 1899, the only person to graduate with a mathematics degree was a woman by the name of Ruth Collins. Women were studying in the STEM fields at Drexel since the beginning, even if the degrees were not named as traditional sciences. For instance, bookkeeping and dietetics were two of the majors dominated by women at Drexel from the turn of the century until the early 1930s. For those 30 years, 62% of the bookkeeping degrees and 100% of the dietetics degrees were received by women. Although they may not sound like STEM fields, both were heavily oriented towards math and science. The course catalogs from the turn of the century until the 1930s lists a number of mathematics and accounting courses for those taking a degree in bookkeeping and a variety of chemistry, biology, and bacteriology courses for those pursuing dietetics. Commerce and accounts, as well as business administration, was also a popular major among women at Drexel, similar to bookkeeping with a focus on business, accounting, and mathematics. The first woman to graduate Drexel with a degree in engineering was Alice Maven in 1947 with a bachelor's in chemical engineering. Drexel is a university well known for our College of Engineering, so it is no surprise that Drexel became home to one of the first chapters of the Society for Women Engineers. In the late 1950s, the chapter was founded. According to Drexel records of 1963, there were only six women involved with the society, studying chemical engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and civil engineering. The Drexel Society for Women Engineers also had the records of all female engineering graduates from 1947 until 1963. There were only 17 women who graduated with engineering degrees over those 16 years. Although limited in numbers, the Drexel Society for Women Engineers continued to foster the inclusion of women in engineering. In 1974, under President Anne Deschanel, they began a proposal for funding recruitment. The goal was to offer two full-year scholarships to female engineers, as well as grants for graduate students and teaching assistants. 
As of 1977, the Drexel chapter for the Society of Women Engineers had 151 members, a far cry from the eight original members less than 20 years previous. The legacy of those eight women, as well as the path forged by Alice Maven, are still remembered today by the women in STEM at Drexel. Now let's listen to Dr. Scott Gabriel Knowles, head of the Drexel History Department, in a 2019 interview with Drexel alum Angela Harris. Angela is a graduate of 2002 with a degree in Information Systems. My name is Angela Harris and I entered Drexel University in the fall of 1997. I started as a computer science major and the major thing that attracted me to Drexel was the co-op program. And in addition, as a computer science major, they had a five years bachelor's master's program. So I figured why not do everything all in one shot. I graduated from Drexel in 2002 with a bachelor's in information systems degree. I actually ended up changing my major my sophomore year. I found out that computer science wasn't the best fit for me and it made more sense for me to pursue information systems. So tell us about the co-ops. My did. very first co-op was with Roman Haas, which is a chem chemical company here in Philadelphia. And I didn't realize it at the time, but when I went for my interview for the co-op, my hiring manager said, you know, we want to hire female employees. We never had any female employees working in the network operations center. So I didn't realize it, but I was a hidden figure at the time. They never had women working in that department. It was 1998 when I started my co-op there. So technically, I'm a hidden figure in a sense. <laughs> so wait, so they told you we've yes. never had a woman yes. working in this department? Yes. Very first co-op experience. One of my very first co-op interviews, and I was told that I would be one of the first women working in the department. And like I said, I didn't realize the magnitude of it at the time, but this really hit me a couple of years ago as I was reflecting on the experience. Now, I can imagine receiving that news in a couple of different ways. One is, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and the other, oh, this is an amazing challenge. I'm a pioneer. How Do you remember how you reacted to that? I was just excited to start co-op. So that was, that's, that was my reaction. I was excited to jump in and gain some hands-on work experience. And um, I was interested in network engineering at the time. And I was working in a network operations center. So to me, it made complete sense to do that opportunity. And was it similar in your classes, too, that there weren't many women in the information systems classes? Yes, it was. It was a boys' club? <laughs> it was. <laughs> And I guess, again, I didn't really realize it at the time because, for me, this is something I knew I always wanted to pursue. So I guess I kind of drowned, drowned it out at the time. It didn't really hit me until after graduation that it was so much of a boys' club. So what was the second co-op? My second co-op was with Comcast. Uh, initially, I was working in their Westchester location at the Network Operations Center, and I was also fortunate to be able to work part-time while I was in class. And I also did my third co-op with Comcast as well. How was that environment different from Roman Haas? Well, it was, I didn't have to do the 24 by 7, 365 support, but I was the only female on the team while I was working at Comcast, the only female co-op, and there were a few women, but not a lot of women in the environment. Was that challenging, I mean, to be in those kind of environments? Were there preconceived notions that people had about women it, coming you know, into like those kind Looking back, of again, I, I didn't see it at the time, but looking back, you don't know what you don't know, so I do see it as a challenge. Um, Definitely with the relationships and sometimes getting assignments, you'd always, you always have to fight for assignments because naturally in a, in a male environment, you know, men are going to gravitate towards men. So I would always have to fight for assignments and fight for work and fight to be included. So you did a fourth co-op. 
Essentially. It okay. eventually converted over to a full-time employee role, but initially when I started, I was a co-op again. Mm-hmm. At Comcast or somewhere no, else? No, I was at a company called SPX. Okay, what do they working. do? They are a conglomerate, so they focused on buying and selling different businesses, and I was working on their help desk at the time. Okay, and then did you stay there long? Or? No, I stayed there about a year and a half because I actually had a very interesting situation there about two weeks into working there. My manager pulled me aside, and there was also another woman who started at the same time as me, and he gives us a speech about a very important role that often goes unnoticed in the company, and what I didn't realize is that he was setting us up to say that we would have to backfill for the receptionist role. The receptionist was also under his team and responsibility, and she needed a backfill person for if she was going away for lunch, if she had to be away for her desk for meetings, or if she was taking vacation. So two weeks into my role, I found out that I had to backfill for the receptionist. And I'm thinking, I'm a new college grad. I went to school. I have a degree. This is not what I went to school for. So completely unexpected. And then unfortunately, they ended up firing the receptionist. <laughs> and I had to do that full time for about a month or so until they replaced the receptionist. So that, that was not what I was expecting as a as a recent college graduate from Drexel University. And then to make matters worse, we actually had another co-op join join the team who happened to be a male co-op from Drexel. And I'm thinking, you know, I was told that this responsibility had to be rotated throughout the team. So I was ready to rotate that responsibility to him to get back to what I was hired to do. And my manager told me that he didn't fit the image that he wanted to portray and that this young man would not have to do that duty. They don't train you for things like that in no, college, No, unfortunately, do they? they don't. And um, I knew that I was worth more than that, and I used it as an opportunity to get out of there as soon as I could and find a better opportunity for me. If you're advising younger women in college now, how, how can you spot situations like that? How do you prepare people for something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about mentoring now. Like you said, that was something that I did not learn it, at Drexel, that something that's not really taught in class. You don't really experience it too much on co-op. And one of the things I do now, I just, you know, prepare the women that I'm mentoring. I just have open and honest conversations with them about what they should be prepared to see, not to scare them, but so just so that when they do experience these situations, they're not frightened and run away from it. They know how to handle it and they have the proper support system to handle those type of situations. You know, if you could give yourself advice, go back and give yourself advice in 2002, what would you tell yourself to do? Definitely find a mentor, although I wasn't I, I did try to find a mentor. It did not work out at that time, but I would say definitely have a mentor and okay. have a good support system. Uh, it sounds like one of those sort of like grit moments that you look back in your career and you you think, oh, I got through that. But Yeah, and I have quite a few of those, actually. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, well, where did you go from there? Is that still where you are now? Or? No, actually, I'm currently with Independence Blue Cross, and I've been there for almost eight years. So you've been in the health sector, the Yes. The IT side of the health sector now for over 10 years. Yes. What are some of the big changes you've seen in the technological side of that? Wow. Um, Well, the biggest change now is that a lot of organizations are going to automation. We're, We're doing something called robotics process automation, where we're automating certain manual tasks they're being tasks are being performed by bots so that's a big change that's going on in in the industry what kind of task i still see a real doctor so (laughs) well it's not necessarily (laughs) from a doctor perspective um i guess more on the the back end side of things if there's a person that's maybe doing work on a computer system like doing quality checks on a computer computer system a bot can be trained to do that to free up a person for other tasks okay so you have some 
responsibility for the bots? Not directly. I work in the project management office, so we are the front line in getting those projects implemented within okay. the organization. But automation has been a major a major trend. Yes. And what about this the situation of being a first? You know, you you call it a, being a hidden figure. <laughs> has that changed at all? Uh, it's still a challenge, honestly, and it's something I, I hope to be able to change for the next generation of women going on. I feel the industry has a lot of work to do. It's still very much so a boys' network, and unfortunately, in my experience, I haven't had a lot, a lot of support from men in the environment, and, and I also haven't had the best of support from women as well. So I feel like I've kind of been out there on my own for a lot of my career. Maybe we can talk about this a little more, if you don't mind. I would definitely say it's a better time for, I would say, a younger woman entering the field. When I grew up, there really weren't a lot of programs for girls interested in STEM, but now there's tons of programs for girls studying STEM, so I think it's changing a little bit. One area I feel needs to be addressed is the retention. I feel like there's a huge emphasis to get girls to study STEM, but there's really nothing to help retain and elevate the women that are currently working in STEM. There's a little known statistic that often goes overlooked that 56% of mid-career women in technology leave the field. And you really don't hear a lot about that because you think there's, oh, there's so many programs for girls that are studying STEM, but women are leaving at a very alarming rate. And I'm concerned for the, the next generation of girls entering the workforce because there's really going to be no one there to help bring them up and help elevate them to the next level. It seems like something you've really given a lot of thought to. I mean, yes, because the... I feel like that could be me. I feel like I've, you know, I've right. struggled early in my career trying to make strides within my career. And as I look forward to the next phase of my career, I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. And yeah. it, it hasn't been easy. And I'm still struggling to make those connections with the males in my department. It's when, we, when they talk about the tech economy these days, the concern is always about innovation. Mm -hmm. And it's rarely discussed in the way we're describing it, talking about it right now, which is, you know, what happens to the labor force and how do you keep people in, uh -huh. in technology. Um, if you could give advice up, mm -hmm. not mentoring to people starting out, but mm -hmm. if you could give advice to CEOs on this, what would you tell them? It, Now's your chance. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it really has to come from the top. And honestly, I think for things to really change, I feel like there should be targeted programs for women leaders and just women in general within the tech environment. The numbers really, the data's there, the numbers aren't changing. However, everyone knows the business case for diversity that, you know, diverse teams and diverse companies perform better, but the numbers aren't changing despite the, the statistics are there. It really has to come from the top. And so you've also taken the reins on that a little bit in terms of your interaction now with the Drexel Alumni Association, right? I mean, yes. you have some engagement as a mentor there. Yes. Um, like I said, mentoring was something that I didn't have as a student, so I feel like I, I want to be the person I needed when I was younger. So it's just natural for me to gravitate towards female students and take them under my wing and just share whatever knowledge or resources or network that I have with them. And in addition, in 2017, I established a scholarship within the College of Computing and Informatics for African-American female students studying technology. It's a $5,000 need-based award that I'm personally funding to support African-American female students in pursuit of their degrees. How many young women have received this? Two so far. Okay. Two All so right. far. And actually, um, last year was actually pretty interesting. 
as I stated, um, I'm personally funding it with $5,000 of my own money. But last year, the university was gracious enough to allow me to start a fundraising page for my scholarship. And I was actually able to raise an additional $5,000 for my scholarship. So I'll be able to give out a second award this year. Okay. That, so there'll be three students under the umbrella. Well, that really starts to move the needle a little bit. Then. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing what I can. I'm only one person, but I'm yeah. doing what I can. And one of the reasons why I started the scholarship, I, felt I went in with the mentality, you know, if you build it, they will come. And just seeing the outpouring of support to be able to raise $5,000 for the scholarship in one year shows that people are willing to support these types of initiatives. Well, you've described environments in which you find yourself a sort of a one-of-a-kind, and they're difficult environments, but yet there must also be something, some countervailing force, something exciting about it, intellectual challenge to it. What keeps you in the field? When a young person says to you, boy, it sounds like you've had a tough time and yet you stick with it. What's your answer? This was always my goal. Ever since I was a young girl, I saw my first computer when I was six years old in a store and my father purchased my first computer for me when I was nine years old. Oh, what kind of computer was it? Was it was a Commodore 64. Yes, <laughs> great. With a, with a cassette drive or a um, floppy the, drive? Yeah, the floppy, the five and a half. And eventually <laughs> we upgraded to the three and a quarter. Fantastic. And I had um, you know, a dial-up modem. This is in the days of bulletin board services before the World Wide I'm, Web I'm was even out there. I'm not going to impersonate that sound for the yeah, sake of the our handshakes. listeners. Down, yeah, yeah. And my first um, internet service provider was Prodigy. It was like the rival to AOL. So, you know, I was, I was always playing on my computer. So from a very young age, from pretty much from the age of nine, I've always known that I wanted to pursue something with computers. Was your father techie? No, he wasn't, honestly. Really? Yeah, he mom? wasn't. No. <laughs> Did you have uh, role models Women role no, models? No, I didn't. Who, like I said, I guess I was a unicorn in no my professors generation. Who, no. Did you ever have a female professor at Drexel? I had one my sophomore year. I remember her name. Her name was Cynthia Lapata. She was the only female professor that I had the entire time I was here at Drexel. Okay. Your career has spanned this revolution yeah. in technology like we hadn't seen in a, over 100 years. Mm -hmm. You've, do you feel that? I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to look. Like I said, my first computer was a Commodore, which didn't necessarily have a hard drive. You had the floppy disk. And then to go from that to, you know, high-speed Internet service. <laughs> Have you supervised Drexel Co-ops? I have not directly, although we do hire Drexel Co-ops in the company, I have not directly supervi supervised them. But we actually, we just had a um, panel discussion about two weeks ago for the Drexel Co-ops within the company. I served on the panel for that. Oh, what did you say? Everything I'm telling you, get a mentor, <laughs> network, you know, reach out to alumni. Don't be afraid to engage with alumni. And actually, there was one young lady that was in the, the audience. She actually reached out to me. We sat down and had a very good conversation, and I've been connecting her, connecting her with other people within the organization. She's actually going to be graduating soon. So she's trying to, you know, navigate her career path and learn about different career options. So I've been connecting her with other people in the company that are working in her field so she can learn more from them. So... I want to ask you some questions now that, you know, from the vantage point of an active alum. What do you see at Drexel right now, the way it is? What do you think is going, working well? What are some of the things that you think need to change? It's a completely different university from when I started in 1997. I think President Fry is doing amazing things with the university. The reputation is phenomenal. I'm excited for the innovation neighborhood that's currently in progress there exciting changes going on within the university. One of the things that I would recommend would just be to encourage the interaction with the co-ops and alumni. For example, my company, Independence Blue Cross, we employ co-ops all the time. Maybe there's an opportunity to 
come up with a list of alumni that are willing to serve as mentors to the co-ops while they're on site. I take it upon myself if I, you know, come across the co-ops to try to, you know, introduce myself and reach out to reach out to them and make myself available. But I feel like that's a, a huge opportunity that's just waiting for people. And the co-op, you know, students still tell us is the re- reason, even history majors tell us the co-op is the reason and mm-hmm. the Philadelphia are the two main reasons that they're that they're coming to Drexel. Do you mm-hmm. think the co-op is as strong as it as it ever was? Are there any changes? You, you suggested one very nice change just now. Anything else that you would? It is. I mean, I know students that are kind of splitting up their co-ops. They're doing three months at one company and three months at another company. Actually, one of the young ladies that I'm mentoring now, she is on fall winter co-op, but she's taking extra classes during, I think, the winter term to do a special summer internship in New York over the summer. So students are getting really creative with the co-op program and going after great opportunities. The William Sidney Pittman graduation, we wrote about him in the in the Drexel 125th volume. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous history. Yes, yes. That must have been a real special invitation. It was. What was it your was, reaction? It was a huge, I was. Were you nervous? I was shocked. Yeah? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was actually selected or <laughs> thought about to do a what keynote address. What was the address. theme of your address? Well, he was an architect. Yes. And I tried to make it relatable for the students. I tried to put, I guess, a contemporary spin on it. So. There's a hip-hop artist, Jay-Z, and one of his albums was The Blueprint. So I referred to my speech as The Blueprint for Success. So I gave them little pearls of wisdom that I wish I had as a young alum. Can you share a couple of those with us? Because I still feel like I could use pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things I recommended that they do was always have a plan and a vision for their lives. One thing that I do personally, I have a Google sheet with personal and professional goals, short-term goals. And I review that on a on a regular basis, and I can honestly say that I've seen goals that I've written down manifest. One of the goals that I that I wrote down a few years ago was to actually start the scholarship at Drexel. And I remember when I wrote it down, you know, I didn't know how much it would be or when I would be able to do it. Because honestly, when you hear about scholarships, you think millionaire, and I'm nowhere near being a millionaire, and it's already happened. Another thing I said was the importance of networking. You know, it's it's all about who knows you, not necessarily what you know, but who knows you and having those relationships, whether it's like a peer relationship or a relationship with a Drexel alumni member, it's important to have a strong network. And I also encourage them to stay connected with Drexel. Were African-American students at the time that you were a student here, were they organized? We had the Black Student Union, and there were a couple of um, Greek letter organizations that some of the African-American students participated in. Was that an identity that people were encouraged to explore when they were here? Oh, I, I would say so, yes. Because okay. I don't think at that time, I don't think we had any African-American history. We may have had one African-American history course. I mean, it's been something mm-hmm. that we've been attentive to in arts and sciences in the last mm-hmm. 20 years. You, if you look, and we have an Africana Studies program, we've had a lot of changes okay. there. But in those days, it was very early days with, mm-hmm. with that kind of thing. Wow. And I wonder, you know, you described the difficult situations in some of those job situations. Do you think it was compounded because of your identity as an African-American woman? Or? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. So looking forward then, you, you know, where do you find the optimism that that can change and can get better? I'm going to do Because you whatever seem optimistic. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can on my end. And actually, last year, I came across an organization called the Information Technology Senior Management Forum. And it's an organization, I think they've been around since 1996, of African-American professionals in the tech industry. 
And their focus is on increasing the number of African-Americans within the industry. And they do this through academies. And I was accepted into what's called their Emerge Academy. It's a program specifically designed for women of color in the tech industry to elevate them to leadership roles. And I'm one of 24 women that was accepted into this program. Nationally. Nationally. Congratulations. And I'm the very first in my company. So that has been a huge support system for, for me. I've been assigned an executive coach to work with and just having access to other like-minded individuals who have experienced some of the same situations that I've experienced has been a huge support for me. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective on those, on those things. I mean, life as a college student and a young professional is hard enough when you feel like people want you there. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's admirable how much you, you know, I really like your description of like the, your first interaction with the computer. I mean, there's something <laughs> about that maybe that, that kept you inspired and yes. kept you going. And now the mentorship opportunity. Yes. Like it or not, people are always watching you, right? Yes, you never know. You must feel that now. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else that you would want to talk about? No, I'm uh, just I think we did good. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you okay. for selecting me. All right, Angela, thank you so much for making time. Thanks. Throughout history, there have certainly been more than a few hurdles set before women with a passion in any male-dominated or designated field, but particularly in STEM. It is through the communities of women in STEM fields, such as the Society for Women Engineers, and mentorships that Angela was able to provide that allow for the continuation of strong and ambitious women in STEM. Drexel has a growing community of women in STEM, and it will continue to grow throughout history. Thank you for joining us on the Dragons Remember podcast as we took a deep dive into the history of women in STEM at Drexel. I invite you to join us next time as we further explore the expansive legacy of Drexel University. Until then. <laughs>